Hey everyone, Pastor Blake Harkup here from Bedrock, Sarasota. I just wanted to take a minute to welcome you to our podcast. We hope that you get to know God more, that you feel encouraged, and that you see how God's moving in your life from a brand new perspective. Enjoy today's message. What if I told you that there, there is a way to fight and actually make your relationship better? I know that that sounds kind of countercultural to where we are as a society, but I, I don't know about you, but anybody in here ever been in a fight? Not just a physical fight, like everyone, you've been in a fight? Okay, I was in a fight with John Cassara this week. Anyway, <clears throat> um, let me ask you a question though. How bad was it? Maybe there's a fight you can remember as you think about it that was relationship ending. That you don't talk to those people anymore. You don't have any contact with them. And, and even if the distance is a better thing, the relationship really isn't reconciled or restored. And see, what I've found a lot and what I've discovered a lot is that it's not so much that we fight. It's how we fight that really makes the difference. And tonight, I want us to discover that fighting isn't bad. I want us to discover that in our families and in our relationships and how we get through this life and what we do, there's going to be conflict. If you or somebody else has an opinion, you know that there's going to be a conflict, but how do you deal with that in the right way? And so tonight, we're going to learn to fight fair. We're going to learn how we can, as families and as husbands and wives and siblings and kids, and as we focus in on the family, we have to learn how to fight fair. In fact, uh, there's a story that reminds me of what it's like to not fight fair. The date was June 28th, 1997. Some of you are really probably familiar with this story. It was Holyfield versus Tyson fight number two. In that fight, almost 2 million people paid on pay-per-view to watch the fight. Now, there's some interesting backstory to this fight because it's called the bite fight, if you remember the story. In the first fight between Tyson and Holyfield, Holyfield wins in the 11th round. He captures the heavyweight title, and in fact, Holyfield is the only guy since Muhammad Ali to win the heavyweight title three times up to this point. And so this like match that's coming has, has gone on for a long time. If you know the story of Mike Tyson, he goes to jail, he gets out of jail, a lot of things go on, but they get into the second fight. And so in the second fight, things are going as planned, but what happens is, is Holyfield begins to headbutt Tyson a few times. He, he rubs his head against him and headbutts him. And Tyson actually complains to the referee and says, hey, look, he's headbutting me. And in boxing, that's illegal. And so you're supposed to be deducted points. Well, the referee does not deduct points to Holyfield. And so Tyson gets really upset. So Tyson comes out in the third round on that epic night. And he forgets to put in his mouth guard. As Tyson walks out to fight him, Holyfield headbutts him again. Tyson says, hey, you got to stop doing that. The referee doesn't really do anything. So Tyson decides to take the fight into his own hands. And they lock up. And as they lock up, Tyson bites the right ear of Holyfield. Hard. Holyfield cringes. Tyson spits on the ground a portion of Holyfield's ear. And he begins to bleed from the ear. And you're like, whoa, this is crazy. The referee separates them 
and they go to their separate corners. And while they're in those separate corners, they then treat Holyfield and they determine like, hey, the fight's got to go on. So the fight continues. I don't, most people don't know that. Tyson bites Holyfield twice. And so as they got ready to do that, the referee says, hey, you need to put your mouth guard in. That needs to be in. They deduct points from Tyson. As Tyson, and they set out, he, in, he intentionally pulls out his mouth guard again. And as they're fighting, Tyson goes ahead and lays into the left ear of Holyfield. Bites it off again, spits the ear out, and the mat, it's right towards the end of the third round. And at that point, the referee calls an end to the match. He disqualifies Tyson because Tyson wasn't fighting fair. And what ends up happening is, is Tyson actually ends up losing his boxing license because he's not allowed to do that. And the commission comes down and, in fact, he's suspended. Um, he loses part of his purse, uh, 10% of his purse, which was $3 million for that fight. His total purse for the fight was $30 million. But I think, like, as you look at this, this is such a memorable moment because the reality is this wasn't fair. Like, that's not the way that you're supposed to fight. That's not the way that boxing is supposed to go. And we all recognize that. We all recognize this moment. But what I realized is the reason that that tension was so high, how many of you knew that Holyfield was headbutting Tyson during the fight? I mean, very few of us go, oh, yeah, Holyfield was the instigator. Holyfield was the guy. Everybody remembers Mike Tyson, blood running from his mouth. Holyfield, he's got his little wing clipped up here, right? But the reality is, is like for a lot of us, a lot of the blame goes to Tyson. And he, play, he pays some severe consequences because he chose not to fight fair. I wonder for so many of us in this room if that's actually the story of your life. I wonder if like as we're going through our relationships and we're going through how we are in conflict with the people that are closest to us in this life, if people would say, yo, like they don't fight fair. They, 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 they're always, you know, in, in boxing, you, you can't hit below the belt, right? You can hit the stomach, you can hit, hit the sides, you can hit the face, whatever, anything from the waist up. But if you hit below the belt, that's illegal, and you can be thrown out of the fight. It's not fighting fair. And I think for so many of us, that's exactly what's happening in our families. That's exactly what's happening in our relationships. And here's the deal. We've been in so many unfair fights that we bring those dirty tactics into our relationships. Here's the deal. Holyfield and Tyson, I hope they're friends now. I hope they've made amends and all of this. But there was a time of separation. There was a time where they were not friends. There was a time that because of, I mean, if you had both your ears bitten off, I, I wouldn't like want to hang out with that person, would you? And then Tyson probably feels like that things have gone wrong for him because now he's lost his boxing license and he's lost his way to live. And so what you realize is there's no real winner in that scenario. Holyfield shouldn't have done it. Tyson definitely shouldn't have done it. And it was disastrous. And I wonder for us, like, what parts of our relationships are a disaster because we're not fighting fair? We, we kind of choose the way that we're going to fight and we're going to look at it. So tonight's message is different from a lot of the message that we do. We're going to just, like, throw the whole Bible at this thing. Because here's the reality that I really believe to be true. 
Every relationship has conflict, but not all relationships have chaos. And the reality between fair fighting and fighting and, 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 and unfair fighting, unfair fighting brings chaos. If you watch the fight between Holyfield and Tyson, it brought chaos. People had to go to their corners. There's blood everywhere. There's all of this, like, what do we do? Do you just bit this dude's ear off? Like, how do we handle this moment? And what happens is, is every healthy relationship that you're in is going to have conflict. It just doesn't have to be chaos. And for so many of us, that's the way that we've experienced conflict. And that's why we want to we bow down and get away and avoid conflict at all costs because we've seen the chaos that can ensue. We can see like when things aren't dealt with in a good way, there's disaster. There's chaos. There's hurt feelings. There's end of life. I mean, you think about all of these things. If we just learn to fight, but fight fair we could actually get forward in life. Conflict can be either positive or negative. I mean, you realize that, right? Like, conflict is not a bad thing. Anyone who, who does something that causes any kind of effort or, 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 or any kind of, like, part of your body that you have to be sacrificial is technically a conflict. So, like, raising your kids and feeding your kids. Parents know, like, that can be a conflict. But if you get them to eat the right thing, is it a negative conflict? Not necessarily, it probably went, it depends on how you fought in that moment, right? If you, if you kind of teach them and, and help them to know how to eat the food that they should eat rather than cramming it down their throat, then yeah, there can be a positive and a negative. But I mean, like even going to the gym, that's a lot of conflict. I am wrestling and fighting weights and, and doing this all the time, but it's positive on me. I mean, if I don't do it the right way, I'll have a hurt back and, you know, things like that. But the reality is, is conflict actually can bring you to a deeper understanding and level than, than almost anything ever could. Like there's sometimes that conflict is required in order to bring a depth to a relationship. And so we have to realize like that you and I do not need to cower away and hide from conflict. It just matters how we do it. See, every good relationship has conflict because good relationships have passion. Good relationships, there's love in the relationship. And so conflict is about to happen. It's bound to happen. But how are we going to do that? Like, let's think of a good conflict. Where are you going to go on vacation? I mean, at the end of the day, you get to go on vacation. You're just not sure where you're going to go yet. Like, you've got to make a decision. There has to be a discussion. There has to be some kind of conversation that we have. And the reality is, is, but at the end of the day, you go on vacation. But how many of us have canceled vacations because we can't decide where we're going to go because we fought unfair. And we said, you know what? If you're going to be like that, I don't even want to go with you. And so it depends on how we do this. And the reality is, is if there's a part of your life that there is no conflict in the relationship, it's not a relationship. Like there's a lot of people that I don't have conflict with in the world. And you know why? Because I don't know them. And they don't know me. Or I don't really care to know them. They don't really care to know me. And so we don't have conflict. I live and let live. Hey, moving on. But what I've noticed is, is that if you really care for people, you're not going to be able to avoid conflict. 
So the question that arises today is like, how do we not have a Tyson Holyfield moment in our families? How do we have healthy conflict that helps us engage with the people that we love in a healthy way that we move forward and grow in our relationship? And so the very first thing, the foundation of really healthy conflict deals with how you see people. How do you see people and how do you see conflict? See, because if you don't see people in the right light, they are people to be overwhelmed and overrun rather than brought in and helped. And you're, some of us are doing this in our own families and in our own relationships. Instead of seeing the people in our families that are closest to us as people who need to be brought in and be helped and be loved and be served, we see them as enemies. Right? Like some of us like even know through a text message or through something that happened at dinner or how something went in the morning, you know that when you get home, there's a battle about to ensue. It's a war. And the reality is, is your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your siblings, your relationships with your spouse, and none of it is meant to be war. That's not the goal, and never has God said, make war against your family. And so let me ask you, how do you view people in your life? Like, here's what we, we talked about this. You, a lot of us view people through our hurt, and I, I'll tell you, a really good way to know that you're hurting is when you assume the worst intentions of somebody. Like, when you assume the worst in somebody else, you're ready to go to war, aren't you? Because it kind of gets you going. Right, it gets you amped up. Like, I'm ready. I'm ready when I get home to have a fight. Because I know why she said that. I know why he said that. I know why they do those things. I know my kids left their stuff out because they know it makes me mad. And so I'm ready. Let's have a war. You want a war? Let's go. And so what happens is, is because you don't want to be hurt and you don't want to be run over, you get ready for battle. Instead of extending a hand. And so what happens for so many of us is I have to ask you, how do you see people? Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13, as we were in the book of Romans, we saw this. This is how Paul begins to describe how we need to see people. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Now he's talking about this in the context of relationships. Our relationship with God our relationship with others, our relationship with those who are outside the fold and those who are within the fold. Paul is talking about like, hey, in relationships, you and I need to have a mindset of clinging to what is good and letting go of what is bad. Hate what is evil. Here's a phrase that we use in our culture all the time. Eat the meat, spit out the bones. Enjoy what is good, be a part of what is good, but leave the rest. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Everybody say honor. This is a really important word as we begin to discuss conflict. Because we're going to learn tonight that there's a little bit of a difference between honor and respect. We're going to learn that, that we have to realize and see here that the command in the Bible from God is to honor people regardless of their worthiness. I know that that's hard to hear, but notice in this passage, there's no caveats to honoring. Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. 
So Paul uniquely and closely equates the way that we love and serve and honor other people with how we love and serve God. Those two things are interrelated. Like, have you guys ever heard like, hey, you better watch how he treats his mama because how he treats his mama is how he's going to treat you. I would really look at and begin to discuss how you treat your relationship with God is probably how you'll treat your relationship with people. You're like, I don't know about that. Really? Like when you get mad at God, do you stop praying? Do you stop talking? Do you stop reading? Do you start doubting? Is there a distance? Maybe some of you are in a distant relationship with God right now, not because God is distant, but because you are. God is never distant. He is always close. We have to look to God for how we are to behave, look to God for how we are to love. But I realize so many times that how I treat my relationship with God leaks out into how I treat other people. Verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Notice what Paul is saying here. The relationship of honoring and loving people that are in our lives is equated to trial and suffering and conflict. Be joyful in hope. When you need hope is when you're in a conflict. When you need hope is when things aren't looking so good, when life is hard and things aren't going quite the way that you said. Like, he doesn't say, be joyful in the good times. He says, be joyful in hope. That means that something's going wrong. Patient in affliction. People are coming at you. People are not kind to you. People are doing all of these things. And yet Paul just told us to honor people. What do you mean, Paul? And faithful in prayer. For so many of us, that's the default part of our life. We pray when things get bad. But how many of us know, like when things are hard and when you're in conflict and there, there's, there's a fight at hand, you pray. You pray, you, you seek the Lord's favor in this moment. Verse 13, it says this, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. As we begin to walk through and talk about fighting fair, we need to, to begin to discuss how you see people because we won't learn how to fight fair until you learn how to honor people. Until we learn how to actually love people and honor people in the moment beyond what they do because of who they are, we will then begin to understand how to fight fair. See, when we begin to fight, we have to remember the goal and remember who we're talking to. So in the Bible, there's these two words I'm going to bring up here on the screen for just a second. For honor and dishonor. The first word is dishonor, which is atomus. Atomus. This word really means something very simple but has profound uh, Basically, consequences on how we treat things. This is what it means to be dishonoring. It means that you treat people or things as common and ordinary. So the relationships in your life, the people that are in your life, the things that go on in your life, are you treating them as common and ordinary? Because this word, like the way that it's formed in the Greek, is an amalgamation of the word we're about to see for honor, which is Time, or we, it looks like time for you. I don't have all the accents, but the word is time. So atimos, time. Honor literally means this, to value, respect, or have high esteem, to treat as precious or valuable. And so as the Bible uses that word time in the text there, here's what Paul is saying. Are you treating the people in your relationship as valuable as precious, as 
with respect and with high esteem? Like, how are you treating the people that are in your life? Because I'll just tell you that Mike Tyson did not have honor for Holyfield. Because to me, you would lose the fight fairly, even if the other guy wasn't, rather than bite his ear off if you had honor. Not as a person, as a characteristic, but as if you honored other people. So let me just ask us, like right here, just as we talk about these two words, are you treating the people in your relationships as you get into conflict with honor as valuable as, as something precious and with high esteem and high regard? Or do you speak to the people that are closest to you like a dog and you wouldn't speak like that to anybody else? Let me just tell you, how you talk to people, will t- it will tell me how you honor them. I mean, this relationship is really important, especially between parents and children. The Bible even tells us to honor our kids. That doesn't mean we bow down. That doesn't mean that we are subservient to their needs all of the time. But let me ask you, like, are you speaking and treating and disciplining and loving your kids like they are precious, valuable, and in high esteem? Because how you speak generally determines how you feel. Romans 12, verse 18. So this isn't just an honorable thing within the family. Look at what Romans 12, 18 says. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live honoring with everyone. Everyone. There's no special Greek word there. There's no special part of the language. It's like everyone means everyone except these people. Like, we all want that in the Greek. Like, well, where's the caveat in the language? Where's the caveat in this? Notice what Paul says in both of these places. He doesn't talk about and demand honor from everybody else. What Paul says is, this is on us. How we fight, that's on us. Listen, it takes two to tango. And you don't have to be in that kind of fight. You don't have to respond in that kind of fight. You don't have to do those kinds of things because here's the deal. In our culture, we really get confused the difference between respect and honor. The Bible does not say to respect all people, to respect all ideologies, to respect these things. Respect for us and honor have gotten reversed around. Respect more so has to do with what someone does. Like if someone murders a bunch of people, you don't have to go, I respect that. I respect that. That's, wow, respectable. No. See, respect is earned. Honor is given. And so for each of us, honor for us is a choice. And one of the ways that we honor God and we show value to God in our relationship with God is how we honor and, and, and believe in and show in high esteem those whom he has created. I mean, it's really important. Because there's some people in this world that don't do very respectable things. Maybe like in your household, there's people that aren't doing very respectable things. And we go, well, they don't deserve honor. And the Bible says no. Because it's, honor is not about what someone does. Honor is about who they are. And if you understand this from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, we understand that every single person in the world is created in the image of God. And so every single person 
deserves honor. That we don't just throw lives away. That we don't just throw people away. That we don't just treat people as garbage. That we don't do that. We, we can disagree with what they do 100%. And we can stand firm in that. But you can disagree with who they, what they do, but you cannot be disrespectful to who they are. They are an image bearer of the Lord. They are a valuable creation of the Lord. And even though some things have gone wrong in their life, and they've done some horrendous and horrible things, we do not have the right to discard them as nothing. And I know that you, you're thinking about all these people in your mind, and well, what about this person, and what about that person? I know, it's not what we're called to do. We're not called to make caveats. You said that's really hard. I know. But it starts with how we honor the Lord and how we honor him in all of these moments. And let me just ask you, like, even as you're in conflict within the closest relationship of your life with your creator, is there honor there? Is there honor? It, it, like, we are taking God in so many instances in our relationships, in our life, and with the people that are around us, that we basically, we do not honor God in our, with our lives. We do not see the value. We do not see all of these things. And we treat people the same exact way. See, here's what happens. When we do not respect people, we go to war. When we honor people, we try to find a way. We try to find a way. We try to find a way through the mess. We try to find a way through the hurt. We try to find a way through all of those different things. Because a war is about you winning. But healthy conflict is about us winning. That's what healthy conflict is about. It's about you and I and the people that are in our relationships and in our lives finding a way to win together, to move forward together. And it doesn't mean that everyone has to win in the sense that everyone gets what they want, but that we're moving forward together. We're not putting in all of these dividing lines within our lives. And so let me ask you, are you at war or are you trying to help everyone win? War is about you winning and the other side being demolished. And I'm afraid that in our conflicts, in the way that we approach our relationships, we so many times are at war with the people that we love most. And we're looking for ways to belittle them, to hit below the belt, to bite off an ear so that we win the war, but really we lose everything else. Because how many people have been right in an argument but lost their spouse in a process? How many parents have been right in an argument but lost their kids in the process? Or your siblings or your coworkers or whatever it is. We're not meant to go to war with our families. We're meant to honor them and try to bring them into a place in which we all win. And we, we go all the time, we go, yeah, but then that means I guess we just need to allow people to do whatever they want. No, that's not winning. That's really not the best good for the person sometimes. But how you go about that and how you talk to them about what they're doing really begins to matter. And so here's what the Bible says. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible opens up this passage in chapter 12, verse 14, and it says this, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. There it is again. Live in peace. Live, live in a way that is honorable. Live in a way that you honor other people. And remember, we're talking about Romans and Hebrews. 
Both books are dealing with disenfranchised, belittled people by the culture that is around them. Romans, they are an underground church hiding. Hebrews is spoken to, to mainly Jewish people living in a context in which they're belittled for their religious values. And in both instances, the Bible says, honor or live in peace with everybody. These words are written in the midst of conflict. In the greatest conflict that so many people experience, that they're about to be persecuted, they're about to lose their livelihood, they're about to be arrested. And God says, no, we are the people of God. You are the people of God. Let me ask you, what if God decided to deal with us through respect and not honor? What if God decided to deal with you in your life between respect and honor? Because God does value you in high esteem because you are his son and his daughter and you are his creation. But what if it went solely to how you respect others and how respectable you behave? We would be in a lot of trouble in our lives if God chose, I'm going to deal with only what is respectable. Instead of honoring my word. In honoring my truth, because in my word and in my truth, the Lord said that he would honor and love, and his love would always be towards his people, regardless of what we do or do not do. And so what Hebrews says is this, you and I have to fight for peace, make every effort to live in peace with everybody, and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That word that we, we, we use it, it says make every effort. That sounds nice. Like that, that sounds like, oh man, just make, do the best that you can. The language here is so much richer than what appears here. See that word, make every effort, literally means to strive, drive away, to drive out, or probably the strongest sense of the word is to persecute. So let me read it again. Persecute. Like, and do everything that you can to live in peace. So what does that mean? Persecute anything that will not allow you to live in peace with people. You're like, oh, well, most of us think, well, then I just persecute that behavior. I persecute those people. He goes, no, you persecute the pride. You persecute the anger. You, you persecute the need to be, be the one who wins. You persecute that. Because what did Romans tell us? As it depends on you. For so many of us, the conflict and how we are in war with those who are, we are in love with deals so much with them. How they behave, what they do, rather than how we respond and what we do. See, you and I will never really find a solution until we begin to take ownership. You have to be an owner and not just a participant. For so many, I, I even tell our, our staff this, and like today, I walked around the property and I picked up trash. And you're like, well, Pastor Blake, you're not supposed to do that. You're a pastor. Yes, I am. Because we've decided to take ownership. I didn't drink that Slurpee from Wawa. I didn't have those snacks and those cookies. But you know what? It's just because it wasn't me doesn't mean I can't own it and take care of it. Because it really doesn't have to do with them. It has to do with me and who I am. And who God's called me to be. And you can't think, fix anything that you don't own. You'll always pass it off. And why would we leave the healing 
And why would we leave the goodness in our relationships in the hands of people who haven't shown us that they can act in a respectable way? So you're going to choose to honor them, and you're going to begin to take up the mantle in your own life and seek reconciliation. That's the call for you and I. And you say, yeah, but these people, they don't know, and they don't deserve it. Honor has nothing to do with deserving. It has everything to do with a choice. And so let me ask you, for you and I, are we fighting for peace? Are we fighting for those who, who, who we need to? And that includes everybody. See, because in the reality of all of this, there's really three approaches to conflict. And two are very unhealthy and one is great. The first approach to conflict is to be peace fakers. You guys might know this person, a peace faker, is a person who's going to avoid conflict at all costs until it absolutely blows up. This might be you. Hey, everything okay with you? Yeah, I'm fine. You sure you're good? I'm fine. Did that upset you? No, 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 no. They didn't. No, 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 no. We're good. We're cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you go home and you're in your car and you're cussing them out, right? And you're like screaming because you have not dealt with it and now you're at war because you're a faker. You're a peace faker because you think all conflict is negative. And instead of going into conflict and finding resolution, you fake it and you bury it to the point at which now what was little is huge. Married people know this, right? Because you like, there's those little things that annoyed you at the beginning. You're like, oh, that's annoying. Now you're like, I will rip your head off if you do that one more time. You just haven't dealt with it in a positive way. This approach just makes everything worse. It builds and builds and builds and allows bitterness to take root, and it results in death. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Those are peace fakers. You might be a peace faker because you just don't, you don't want to get into any conflict. You are in conflict. Your soul's in conflict. You're suffering on the inside. And you will suffer on the inside until the pain of changing is, is worse or, or the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change. And what I found for people that are peace fakers is you get to the point where there's no reserve left. The tank is empty and there's no hope now. Right? Because it's not about honor. It's about respect. And instead of honoring the person by giving them opportunity to invite them in to allow for healing, you say that behavior is unrespectable. I'm not going to deal with it. and I'm going to hide it because I don't want to deal with this because I am more important than you. I don't want to be in conflict. That's what I've heard a lot from peace fakers. I, I, I don't want to be in conflict. I don't like conflict. Yeah, that sounds a lot like selfish behavior. You think it's nice. Because the reality is you try to let someone else off the hook, but they're never off the hook. They're always guilty in your mind. They're always guilty of those things again. Because you've never done and given them the privilege of walking into it and trying to make amends. But then there's another person. There's probably one of these in every relationship. There's the peace breakers. The peace breakers. This is the person who goes to war. This is the person who walks in and goes after people and overwhelms them to win the war. 
This is their tactic. I am going to run in and I am going to deal with you so hard that you can't even speak. And then I'm going to belittle you and I'm going to speak over you and I'm going to yell and I'm going to do all of these things. And then I'm going to bring up the past and then you're on trial and you didn't even know you were just sitting here watching TV. Someone's like, what's the matter? And you say, how much time you got? I'll tell you what's the matter. In everything in that relationship, you are generally on attack. And here's what I've noticed about peace breakers. You're always ready for a war. Because all you did was pummel somebody. And how many of us know when you're a peace breaker and you go in to just annihilate people, you don't really feel good about it when it's done. But because it's about winning a war and not about honoring people, then you can't apologize because then somehow you'd be wrong and they would win. And so you're just a peace breaker. You just walk in and annihilate people. James chapter 1, verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should what? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Peace breakers are the opposite of that. They're quick to speak. They will not listen. Have you ever like been in a fight with somebody and they're saying things and you're like, you're not hearing me. You're not hearing what I'm saying. They don't want to. They want to win a war. It doesn't really matter how you do it, right? We say this, all is fair in love and war. It's not true. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Are you honoring and speaking to those who are in your life with great respect, holding them in high esteem? But then there's the third group as we get ready to begin to wrap up. There's the peacemakers. There's this biblical model of people as God describes that this is who you and I should be. We're not supposed to be peacemakers. We're not supposed to be peacebreakers. We're supposed to be peacemakers. This is the person who isn't going to get run over who isn't going to come in and, and do all of these things. They are seeking to be heard and are assertive, but they invite others into the solution. That's what a peacemaker is. Peacemaking is not being quiet. Peacemaking is letting someone know, hey, this is what's going on. This is what didn't go well. This is how this hurt. But, but even peacemakers, the way that they bring up conflict allows the person to not go into war. Like what, what they do is they say, I just wanted to let you know, I get really sad when this happens. Not when you do this, I get sad. When you speak like this, I get angry. Because what do you do when you start to talk to somebody like that? You're saying this, put up your fist. I want to fight. I'm not going to address the feeling. I'm going to address you. And so you have to defend yourself or you have to close your mouth and be quiet because you don't want to fight. Peacemakers are beloved in the Bible. James chapter 3, verse 17 to 18. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. That then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. 
And if you know anything, James also talks about how powerful our tongue is in the way that we speak to other people, the way that we deal with other people. But you're like, oh, is that true? Yeah, Jesus says it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. They're reconcilers. They bring the shalom, the peace of God, into situations. And so let me ask you, how are you doing in all of this? How are you fighting with people? How are you loving the people that are closest to you? How are you dealing with them? Is it about war or about everyone winning? Is it about respect or is it about honor? Here's what I've found when we begin to approach this as a peacemaker, when we honor those and we really begin to look to find a place of shalom. When you show people real honor, like real honor, when you show them that they really are valuable to you, they really are these things, there is a way that honor is contagious. It's contagious. It is this place where you and I can walk into these moments and you and I can do all of these things and we can begin to show honor to people. And because it is such a godly thing, it has a way of winning people over. And it's a way for us to worship God, to honor those who, yes, may not be respectable, but we honor them because they are a creation of God and honor has a way of rubbing off. And you say, I don't know about that. Then try it in your home. And it's not instantaneous because people are caught up in respect and war and winning and being right and all of these things. But when you honor people, how you speak and the way that you speak and the way that you go through things is going to change. The volume of your voice, the way in which you deal with it, like it's going to change the way that you talk. And so what happens is, is you can begin to pull that peace and honor out of other people because you're modeling what needs to happen. It's just not fair. I didn't say this was fair, but sometimes what isn't fair is still the right thing to do. It wasn't fair that Jesus had to die, but it was the right thing to do. So we don't live in a world of fairness. We live in a world of the right thing. What was fair for you and I in the conflict between man and God before Jesus came to earth was death. For the wages of sin is death. That was fair. But Jesus wanted a better thing than just being right. So what did he do? He honored and he came down and he showed us how valuable we are in spite of all of the bad things that we do. And he died the death that we should have died to extend a hand for you and I. And so instead of treating us with respect, he honored us instead. And that same love and that same ability for those who believe in Jesus Christ indwells you in the Holy Spirit. We can be people of peace. And so we have to keep the fight fair. Ephesians 4, 25 to 27. Therefore, each of us must put up falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give a foothold to the devil. Here's what this means. If it's, get, like it's getting close to sunset now. And some of you are freaked out. Like, I'm angry right now. If the sun goes down, this is locked and sealed. No. What it means is don't put your anger, don't put all of these things to bed. you got to deal with them. Too many of us, peace fakers, we put peace to bed. Ah, it will go away. 
peace breakers is well, I'm going to pull peace out of the bed and I'm going to just like annihilate you so I feel good, but you never do. And so what do we do? Like, how do we deal with this? I want to give you guys a couple of examples of, of some of the ways that we fight unfair and then how we can actually fight fair. Right, like this is really great when it's all theory, but let's get practical. Like let's get really down to brass tacks of how do you and I do this? So if you're a peace faker, you're going to say this. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just not going to say anything. I'm not going to deal with it. Like I'm going to smile. You're the best actors ever. I mean, your, your insides are a wreck. Your stress level's through the roof. Your self-motivation and your self-image is Par to none. Like you got none. But you just, oh yeah, I'm going to hold it in. What you're telling me is you really don't want the relationship to move forward. You just don't want to be in a war. Rather, what we should do is speak the truth in love and entice people into the solution. Hey, I'm really hurt. This really hurts when, when this happens. I just want to let you know because I love you and I don't want there to be anything between us. And so it wouldn't be kind of me to not tell you, but hey, I'm just letting you know that this really hurts. You've invited the person in and not gone to war with them and you're inviting them in to speak into the moment. You have to say something. Silence is not fighting fair. It's having a battle in your own head and not allowing the other person to speak into it. You've put them on trial and you haven't heard anything. So you harbor anger because you assume the worst. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. The Bible says go deal with it, address it with them personally. This passage goes into more and more stuff, but the reality of, of like how you and I begin to do this is the way not to do it is to sell somebody else and hope that telephone happens. Or what about this? How about speaking death? Did you know that the Bible actually describes that the way that you speak to people as speaking between life and death? Are the words that you're speaking bringing life into those who are closest to you? Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death. And we know this. How many of you have died inside because of what someone has said, not what they've done? How about this? Starting the fight at the wrong time. How many of us know that? Like there's a time that you know that they'll be tired, that they'll be weary, that they can't do these things. So you're going to start a fight. Let me tell you how this happens in a lot of marriages. When you both lay down to go to bed. So you take a place in your home that is meant for unity and for love, for enjoyment and for peace in your marriage. And yet you decided that that's the place you're going to lay down to bring something up. Because you know they're tired and you know you might be able to win or they're not going to respond or they're going to do all of these things. And so instead of basically starting a fight at the wrong time, pick your moment. Pick your moment. Like figure out Ecclesiastes 3.1 talks about there's season, the right season for everything. I'm just going to tell you the best place to fight is not your bed. That's the best place to make up. 
I'm just being honest with you. And so why would you make a place of war the place of peace? It doesn't make sense. I tell people this in young marrieds. I tell them this all the time. I'm like, hey, when you guys fight, don't fight in bed. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, that's a place for harmony, for unity, for love, for peace. That's a good place. Do not soil that. Do not bring things into there that you shouldn't. That's a place to make up. So I say this, if it's, you really want to fight, get up and ask them to come to the kitchen. Get up and ask them to go out on the porch. Get up and ask them to come into the living room. And if you're not willing to go to the living room or the kitchen or the laundry room, everyone knows that's a battle, right? Like, or whatever it is, like, then it's probably not worth fighting about. You're just tired, you're hangry, you're, you're on a diet and you couldn't eat cookies. And so you're angry. So you decide to start a fight. And that's really hard to have the discipline to do that. But I say, if it's not worth getting out of bed for, then it's not worth fighting about right now. Pick a place. Move on. Like, move into another place. How many of us want to walk into our bedroom and remember the blowout fight that we had last night? Before you go to bed. This is just not wise. How about this? Play back the past. When you get in a fight, because you've never really sought peace before, because that scratch got itched, the wound opens up again, and every memory from that wound opens up with it, because it's never been dealt with. And so what happens? Oh, this isn't the first time, or last time you said, or last week you did this, and then it goes, and instead of the person who you love most and are supposed to honor, you've put them on trial for their whole life, and now they not just have to defend that moment, they got to defend everyone. And then what do you say? Oh, yeah? Well, what about this? I'm sleeping on the couch. Oh, good idea. You, you, you play back the past. Here's how you fight fair. You keep it in the moment. You keep it in the moment that is right in front of you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive you your sins. Forgive. Move forward. And things that are forgiven are not brought back up into the moment. This is a new moment. A new, we've moved on. We've made peace with those things. How about this? Some of us, we get so hyped up. We, we were fighting with the person, and so what do we do? We attack the person, not the problem. It, it all becomes about how bad that person is, how bad they are as an individual, how bad all of these things go. And here's, you want to know how you know that this is like this? When you bring up other people, to your kids. Why don't you be like Sheila's kids? Why aren't you like those? They behave all the time. Yeah, no, they don't. They're just like my kids. They misbehave at home. They're angels outside, right? Like that's just the deal. Oh, why don't you work out like, why don't you work out like Rebecca's husband? He seems to really take care of himself. Why don't you cook dinner like why don't you clean like, like, why don't you love me like, why don't you speak to me like, and you just start comparing all of these people to other people. And so you're bringing up the past and you're not fighting fair. 
And so you have to realize like, that you and I, we attack the person and not really the problem. And so here's the deal. You have to keep it about the behavior, not the person. Because we are not the sum total of what we do. Because this is about honor. It's about who the person is. What about this? Making your problems their problem. Does anyone in here ever do that? Do you ever make your problems their problem? Well, if you only did this this way, then I wouldn't do that. If you only behaved this way, then I wouldn't do that. If you only spoke to me, if you only did this, then I wouldn't do that. So what you're saying is this is really your fault, not mine. Instead, apologize for what you did. You're responsible for how, your own behavior. No one else can make you do anything. You are responsible for your own behavior. Last, last couple right here. How about this? Threats and ultimatums. Threats and ultimatums are about war, not peace. Threats and ultimatums are, let me be clear, like that you and I, if you don't do this, I'm out of here. And you've made it a very one-way street. Instead, be clear in what you want to see and make a plan by when that's going to happen. Don't make an ultimatum, like I'm out of here. Just say, hey, this is what I want to see. This is the change that I'm hoping for. This is the change I'm believing in. Let's make a plan to get there. I'm inviting you into the process. Or what about this? Impossible demands. We just make impossible demands of other people. We, 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 we set them up to like do certain things and to behave in certain ways that there is no way for them to actually do it. And so all that you do is you set these impossible demands so that the person can never succeed. So you always feel justified in your anger instead of having to deal with your own peace. So you set impossible demands. Instead, set realistic, attainable, and simple goals. Start simple. Like, start with the little things. Like, I don't ask my kids right now, clean the whole house. Right now, we're just asking them, like, take your dishes to the sink. After you're done eating, take those dishes to the sink. We'll, do, we'll clean them, but you guys got to get them there. That's the simple part of the process. And then finally this. Don't talk about things that people can't change. I know that it seems so petty, but do you know how many people I have heard, like their parents, that the way that their parents talk to them, like, if you were prettier, if you cut your hair this way, if you were just taller, if you were just thinner, if you were just smarter, Like, you're, you're calling in things that there's some things that people can't change. I had a couple literally say, I would love him more if he was just taller. Oh, guys, like, laugh. That's real life. Let me ask you, what crazy's in your mind? There's probably some. I'd be happier if. I would be happier if my husband did this. If my wife did this, if my kids did this, if my friends did this, all of these things, and you put everybody in your life on trial. And so what happens is when you don't fight fair, you're going to only incur death into your relationships. And it all really begins with how we view God and view others. Is it about honor or respect? Is it about being right 
or finding peace. And so as we get ready to end, Cody's going to come up here and play a song. Some of you are in this room with your spouse or significant other or a friend or a sibling or a parent. And you just maybe realize like in this moment, like you guys have been fighting unfairly for a really long time. You've just like been dealing with people and dealing with situations and dealing with moments and it's really just been destructive. And so as Cody comes up and he's going to play, I want to ask you all, what do you need to do in this moment? How do you need to respond and how do you need to maybe grab the hand of the person and not have to justify your behavior and not explain like why when they do that, you do this. Maybe we just need to come down here and begin to just apologize. Just say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And that's where you leave it. It doesn't have to go anywhere else. Because we are called to be a people who honor everyone, who are at peace with everyone. And let me tell you, it's not going to happen out in the world if it doesn't happen in your home. I've seen too many marriages and relationships and kids leaving their parents. And I have seen too many things happen because everybody in the household treated it like war. And a victory to be won. Rather than a people to be beloved. Thank you for jumping into today's message, and we truly hope that you were encouraged. If you were encouraged, would you like and share this with someone that you truly love and care about? It may just be the thing that they need to get through this week. Also, let us know how the message impacted you, and please let us know any ways that we can be praying for you. But finally, I just wanted to take a minute to thank all of our supporters and those who give generously to make all that we have and do here at Bedrock happen. If you'd like to support us, you can do that really quickly by texting 84321 with any amount and setting up text to give, or you can give on our website. Thank you once again for all that you do, and we hope to see you soon.